9, 12, 10, 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Deep State Radio. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, and I am joined, as I am every week at this time, by Ryan Goodman of Just Security and NYU Law School here in New York City. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Pretty well, David. Thanks. And in Washington, D.C., Dr. Kavita Patel, formerly of the Obama White House, Brookings Institution, and she is a practicing physician. Hi, Kavita. Hi, David. And we are joined today, I'm very happy to say, um, as our guest, uh, Noah Bookbinder, who's the uh, president of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, uh, a job he's held since uh, 2015. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if you are following crew closely, those of you who are listening, but if you're not, you should, you go to citizensforethics.org. Few organizations in Washington have had such an impact in calling out abuses in the United States government or the measures that we need to take to uh, counteract them as crew. Um, and, uh, and we want to talk about a bunch of them today. Um, of course, Crew has been in the news because it was earlier um, this week that uh, in a hearing, uh, in a in a in a court case uh, that was brought by Crew, um, uh, the a federal judge uh, rejected the Justice Department's attempt to keep a departmental opinion not to charge Donald Trump uh, with obstruction at the end of the Mueller investigation and called the administration's lawyers disingenuous. And, uh, you know, this, this uh, uh, by, by decision by Judge uh, Amy Berman Jackson, who's a highly respected judge, um, was seen as quite consequential. And I, and I think the first question I've got is just the most straightforward one, uh, Noah, which is, why do you think it's consequential? What do you, why do you think it's important? Uh, well, first of all, thanks, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be talking to you all. Um, this was a, a, a really important decision for a couple of reasons. And one is that um, it is just a, uh, a blistering opinion, which really calls out um, the uh, attorney, the Ju Justice Department attorneys uh, who worked on this case, um, and also the former Attorney General, uh, Bill Barr, uh, for uh, essentially misleading the court and in, in Barr's case, uh, misleading Congress and the American people. So that is, um, that is hugely significant. That's not a thing that you see from a federal judge very often. Uh, certainly not uh, a judge like uh, Judge uh, Amy Berman Jackson, who is um, a, uh, who is, uh, you know, an even-tempered and well-respected uh, judge. Um, and, and it gives you an indication of the kinds of things that were happening in the Justice Department uh, in the Trump administration and under Bill Barr. Um, I think the other thing that's really significant is that, you know, at some level, I think to, we sort of knew what was happening after the, the Mueller report came out. It, we, we, we sort of, anybody who was paying uh, close attention, I think had a sense that, um, the, that, that Attorney General Barr 
um, set out to uh, kind of twist what was in the Mueller uh, report uh, and without regard for the law uh, act to, to protect uh, then President Donald Trump. Um, what it seems like uh, from Judge Jackson's opinion is that now we kind of have proof of that, that, um, you know, that, that, that uh, uh, Attorney General Barr said that um, he was acting and making this determination that there was not a basis for criminal, uh, bringing criminal charges against uh, Donald Trump for obstruction, that he was acting um, based on uh, advice from the Office of Legal Counsel, this sort of internal uh, uh, legal division within the Justice Department. And it kind of gave a, a legitimacy that there was some kind of, you know, there was law behind what he was doing. Um, when it, it's, you know, we don't know yet what was in this memo that uh, we hope we will now see within a couple of weeks. But just, you know, looking at what Judge Jackson said, um, what it looks like was essentially uh, everybody knew that uh, they weren't going to prosecute. Uh, Donald Trump. And what they were instead doing was providing a rationale to, um, uh, you know, to, to, to sort of, uh, you know, give him a, a, a fig leaf to, to do what he wanted to do politically. And I think that's really, really significant uh, when we look at, at um, how, you know, the Mueller report, which really was this exhaustive and utterly damning investigation, was kind of dismissed after it came out in large part because of what Barr did. Ryan. Just following the same line of question about the longer term or broader implications of the decision, do you think that this makes it more likely that there will be some form of accountability coming out of the Justice Department, a kind of a look back at um, the actions of Trump in particular? Because you could say that what this amounts to is a demonstration from a federal judge that the fix was in, uh, just you know, as you described it, that the attorney general was acting not on behalf of Justice Department principles, but misleading a court uh, more recently, but all in, in an effort to shield the president personally. Um, and you would think at a minimum, uh, Attorney General uh, Garland would have to say, we need to look back and now revisit the case that was closed by his predecessor. Do you think that's one way in which this might uh, cash out in terms of those kinds of implications for Trump? And do you think there are any kinds of implications in addition to the just the public legitimacy or the aura around Attorney General Barr with respect to any legal liability that he might have uh, when, we, when it comes to questions of like obstruction um, with respect to the particular case that was being, that, that he was handling with respect to the Russian investigation? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's certainly something that, that we at Crew have been thinking about a lot this week. Um, I think first of all, um, what you're going to see more of starting with this document, but, um, but I, I think and hope going well beyond it, is more of an accounting of what happened. Um, you know, with a lot of things happened uh, at the Justice Department over the last few years where, you know, we all looked at it and said, wow, it sure looks like uh, Attorney General Barr is misusing the Justice Department to protect Donald Trump. Um, and I think we are going to start seeing um, the proof of that. Uh, and, you know, I think this document, uh, you know, obviously we don't know yet what it's going to say, but it sure looks like it's going to be a piece of that. Um, and I think through uh, digging that, that we're doing at Crew and a lot of other folks are doing, uh, we're going to uh, be able to start telling that story in a much more concrete way 
than, than we've been able to so far. Um, but I do think that uh, there does need to be a re-examination. You know, everybody sort of has forgotten about the Russia investigation and the Mueller report. Um, and we've, you know, it's ancient history, uh, but it's not really ancient history. It, it's something that happened, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the conduct that he was investigating happened just a few years ago. The report uh, was, uh, you know, was just a couple of years ago. Um, and essentially uh, what, um, Robert Mueller said was, we can't prosecute him now because he's a sitting president. Um, and, uh, but if you look at you know, the, the, the actual content of the report, uh, it was uh, presented uh, tremendous, tremendous evidence of repeated obstruction of justice. Um, and um, and it, it now looks like the effort on the part of Attorney General Barr to suggest that there wasn't sufficient evidence uh, wasn't based on law, that it was based in politics um, and, and an attempt to cover for, for Donald Trump. Um, and so I, I absolutely think that, you know, now that um, whether or not you think that, uh, the, that the opinion is valid that says that you can't prosecute a sitting president, uh, it doesn't really matter now because Donald Trump's not the sitting president. Um, and, you know, somebody needs to go back and um, take out the Mueller report and say, what do we do with this now that he's no longer the sitting president? Um, I think that is, you know, that, that, that's not the easiest thing to do politically. I think there's, there's a lot of pressure on uh, Attorney General Garland and President Biden to sort of turn the page and move forward. Um, but ultimately um, you need to have accountability if we are going to uh, be able to, to fix the problems in the system that, that we've seen, if we're gonna be able to restore uh, the American people's faith in democracy so they don't see that you know, the president can, get, can do whatever the heck they want and get away with it. Um, and if we're gonna deter this kind of thing in the, in the future. Um, so I, I do, you know, I think it's a tall order, um, but I think um, you know, this really should put uh, pressure on the Department of Justice to reopen this. Um, and I also think it really highlights um, the you know, systemic uh, efforts by Attorney General Barr to use the Justice Department for political purposes, you know, from, from this response to the Mueller uh, case to, uh, you know, dropping uh, charges against uh, friends and allies of, of the president and, you know, uh, intervening to uh, try to reduce the sentence against Roger Stone and, you know, throwing around investigations um, as, as potential weapons against people that uh, Donald Trump didn't like. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're now seeing that that was happening and that, um, uh, that, that uh, it may well be happening in ways, or may well have happened in ways that we didn't even know that, um, you know, but for our lawsuit, we wouldn't know about this piece of it. Um, and so somebody needs to start digging, figure out what happened and how, you know, and, and taking, uh, not just say, well, now we have people with integrity in charge of the Justice Department, so it'll take care of itself. Uh, there, there was real lasting damage done and there needs to be a uh, concerted effort to go in and figure out what that damage was and how you fix it. Dr. Patel. I'm gonna actually, just to build on that, Noah, I'm gonna uh, ask you to go even deeper because your organization found the link with uh, under the direction 
of uh, the Department of Justice at the time, May, I believe you had done a FOIA request in the drug, the DEA with its uh, kind of surveillance of Black Lives Matter and kind of protest what they called agitators in three particular cities. So if you take this accountability a step further and you're now finding through your kind of lawsuits and requests, these links, which we knew were always there, Karen Bass at the time had kind of brought things up, but as you go deeper, how do you see this becoming a way to support and bolster that accountability? Because I, I'm still troubled and I don't think we've gotten, Ryan's written about it. I think you've spoken about it in other settings. I still think we're only scratching the surface and we've had um, other guests on the podcast that, have, that were from the Trump administration that have alluded to that. So where do you see, you know, is this going to be just one of those onion layers that crew and others are gonna continue to pull at? We're gonna have to do FOIAs and this is gonna have to take itself out on courts, but ultimately it doesn't necessarily add up to that accountability because I find that unconscionable and and still find it baffling that we, you know, we're like, oh yeah, you know, they they were doing surveillance of people that we know of and how much else do we not know? Absolutely. I mean, that that was an, another sort of unbelievable revelation that, you know, the DEA was working with the police department in places mm -hmm. like Philadelphia and Albuquerque to, to send in uh, people to do undercover surveillance of uh, Black Lives Matter protests. Uh, it's, you know, really, um, uh, you know, kind, kind of shocking that that was happening in this country last year. Um, and I think you're absolutely right that we have only scratched the surface. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, Donald Trump and his administration uh, did uh, was this sort of approach of, you know, we are going to push the envelope uh, in terms of uh, self-dealing and, you know, manipulating the government for political and personal gain in so many different ways that nobody's gonna be able to keep track and, 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 and sustain uh, investigation and, and, and uh, accountability for, for many or, or perhaps any of them. Um, and that's a strategy that, you know, that ultimately, uh, I think we can't allow to succeed. Um, so you know, it, it is gonna be necessary. I mean, I think the answer is to pursue every level of, uh, investigation and accountability, because a lot of them are not gonna stick, but some of them will. And so, you know, that means that uh, organizations like uh, CREW and, and, and others that, um, you know, that, that uh, submit FOIA requests and sue on them and file complaints and all those kinds of things, um, that has to keep happening. And, um, you know, and hopefully, you know, not only get results, but also provoke uh, official responses, um, but, um, you know, there need to be investigations uh, out of Congress um, that, that uh, you know, I don't think anybody in Congress should be saying, all right, we've done a few investigations for three months, it's time to move on. Um, there, you know, every committee should be looking into abuses that happened within, within their jurisdiction. Um, you know, there needs to be a, uh, a January 6th commission. Uh, it ought to be bipartisan and passed through legislation. Uh, but if we really end up with uh, a major political party that um, it has it as one of its sort of uh, base principles, a, a denial of the facts of what just happened in our country. Um, and that certainly seems to be where we're heading. 
um, then you got to find another way. And the Warren Commission was uh, a bipartisan commission appointed by the president. Um, and if you know if that needs to happen here, um, or you know a, a select committee of uh, um, uh, appointed by the Speaker of the House, or you know there are other ways of doing it that are less good than the sort of gold standard of a bipartisan committee passed by uh, commission passed by legislation. But you know we got to we got to get that out there to tell a definitive story and sort of stop the misinformation. Uh, we need investigations and prosecutions. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing um, some of those happening at the state level. There's, you know, the Manhattan DA, um, the Fulton County DA in Atlanta, and uh, the New York um, Attorney General. Um, there ought to be, you know, I, I understand the hesitation uh, for federal prosecutions. You, you never want one administration coming in and going after the preceding administration, um, or sorry, the previous administration. Um, but these are extraordinary circumstances. These are abuses the likes of which we've never seen and, um, and, and they can't be allowed uh, to, to stand. Um, so that needs to be happening. Um, you know, agencies should be doing their own uh, internal processes, either through inspectors general or uh, other appropriate processes. Um, you just gotta sort of do them all uh, because there's a lot of um, inertia for just kind of turning the page and forgetting what happened and, and sort of thinking that this was an, an administration just like any other administration and you know we should just get over it. Um, and that's gonna, I think, probably take out some of the avenues of accountability that you should have. So we need to be pushing for all of them, I think in the hopes that as many as possible stick. Um, just following up on that and, and all of these questions, um, and what I'm about to ask may be unanswerable, but listening to you, sharing your views on every single thing you've said, it strikes me that um, inertia has a big advantage in this. Um, and that in fact, the Trump administration, Trump bar, et cetera, via inertia and disinformation seek to essentially take the path that Trump has always taken, which is delay, delay, delay. If somebody brings you to court, delay, find ways to postpone it. You know, if, you know, in, this, in, in Trump world, 12 years later, when nobody's paying attention, you settle, you know, but in, in this particular case, you know, Donald, Donald Trump's not going to be here in 12 years. Um, and some of these other guys may not be here in 12 years. And so if they can postpone it long enough, they win. And uh, by the same token, there does seem to be a reluctance by leaders in the Democratic Party to be too aggressive on this. The president has expressed reluctance. Nancy Pelosi has been sort of hesitant at times. There is no, we, we had an insurrection in the United States. People stormed the Capitol. People died. 600 people have been arrested or something. There's no commission. The Republicans say the commission's got to look at Antifa, not even an organization. They're, they're stalling on this. Um, and Merrick Garland seems to be taking a very sort of appropriately judge-like arm's length view with regard to all of it. 
And my question is, in that atmosphere, what can trigger real action? Because my guess is you're going to end up with the do-it-yourself commission. The do-it-yourself commission is you guys and some other people doing FOIA, doing investigating, some journalists, until there is something so egregious that people can't look away. Surely you've thought this through. What, what do you think that is? So, you know, I, I think, first of all, I, I, I have thought a lot about this and, and, and agree um, that, you know, there is, there is real hesitation. I mean, it's amazing that here we are not even four months out from an attack on the Capitol and, um, you know, nobody's really, uh, there are prosecutions, but nobody's really doing a comprehensive effort to say what happened and, and, and who's responsible and what you do about it. Um, but I also, um, and I, I do actually think that um, there is some hope for um, a larger scale, you know, sort of officially sanctioned uh, effort at accountability. Uh, I think that, you know, an administration takes some time to get stood up and going and you know, they were facing uh, a, um, a pandemic and economic uh, crisis and, and a whole lot of other crises. And I think, you know, they didn't want to, to lead with accountability and democracy reform, uh, because I think it, it's, you know, it seems unseemly to go after the last guys. And, um, and it's hard, it's, but, you know, it's inherently uh, part, it seems inherently partisan and political. Um, but I think one of the things that has happened is that uh, it's, it's become more and more clear that it's not going away. Um, that, uh, you know, that, that you have a whole party which followed up this insurrection uh, with efforts in states all around the country to make it harder to vote. Um, and I think that, um, and, and, and that is slowly sort of uh, creating a criteria for uh, continued certainly leadership and maybe membership in that party that involves, um, you know, denial of what happened in a democratic election and, and um, you know, loyalty to a, a, pre a former president who tried to overturn, uh, overturn an election and incited an insurrection. Um, and, and so I think you have a lot of folks who sort of didn't want to deal with this, who are realizing that they may have to, certainly in terms of reforms and legislation, um, and maybe even in terms of accountability. So I, I, I haven't, um, you know, I, I remain hopeful that we are sooner than later uh, getting to that point. But I also agree with you that um, a crucial piece of that is folks like us on the outside continuing every day to dig um, and hopefully kind of find the things that will um, cause enough public outrage um, to, uh, to speed that process along. Because it's also, it's a narrow window. You know, it's gonna be harder to do anything, for, to do real accountability in 2022 and, and maybe impossible by 2023. Mm -hmm. um, so you gotta move quickly. And, um, you know, I think that uh, you know, showing the ways that uh, Attorney General Barr lied and covered up for Donald Trump. That's a thing that, that, um, that could stir some people up. Um, you know, we are every day um, finding 
more and more sort of graft and corruption by by uh, Donald Trump. They're they're sort of um, you know things that um, uh, that maybe don't seem that huge uh, individually, but but really start to add up of you know thousands and thousands of dollars spent at Trump properties by the U.S. government and by taxpayers. Um, you know you see this sort of uh, you know outrageous responses to. Black Lives Matter, con uh, uh, Black Lives Matter protesters contrasted with uh, tepid responses to an actual insurrection at the Capitol. Uh, so I'm not sure what the thing is that's sort of going to tip the balance. But I think you know you keep pushing on all of these fronts, and maybe one thing, maybe a hundred things, um, you know, keep this in front of people and help to make it clear that it's this is not going to go away that until um, till there's real accountability until there are real reforms um, you know the, uh, the the Trump administration's abuses are, are, are going to keep um, shoving themselves in people's faces and keep on you know threatening the democracy in a very current way right um, so one wild card, uh, so I'm just trying to think of different wild cards that also might shake things in different directions. And then one element of that is how you might read the trajectory of the Justice Department, um, including how the Justice Department might respond in a particular case that we started out discussing. But uh, two developments are the uh, Giuliani um, warrant. So that seems like something potentially very significant in that he seems to be in criminal jeopardy. And as many would say, he's not, you know, he's gonna to try to avoid any night in jail so that he might very well flip and speak to all sorts of things that he knows about with respect to Trump. But the fact that the Justice Department might be going after him pretty uh, strongly, that's one in one direction. On the, and then the other, the other one is a little bit of a mixed signal, which is the Roger Stone tax case. So it's a civil suit for, to recover uh, money from Roger Stone for tax fraud and tax evasion. We had a piece in Just Security by a former member of the criminal division of the IRS arguing that the Justice Department was in fact pulling its punches because according to his expertise, he thought there was such a clear case of criminal liability for Roger Stone in that instance. So there's a little bit of a mixed signal there. Um, but maybe they're just trying something like first steps towards uh, building something more significant uh, with respect to Stone. So you've, you know, you've tried public corruption cases. Uh, if you were to try to read the tea leaves of what we have so far, um, what might you see with that? And then also just to draw in one piece from Kavita, you know, Kavita last week, you had mentioned that you had spoken with uh, co colleagues who are hearing that Garland is using the word accountability uh, in his conversations with staff. And that's potentially pretty significant. Uh, now that he and his senior leadership is in place, maybe that's partly what they've been waiting for. So there's what, what, we, what we might uh, see coming out of the Justice Department over the horizon, that's the, that's the question. I think in some ways it's not surprising that um, the sort of first significant kind of criminal action happened in a case like the Giuliani case, um, in part because the U.S. Attorney's offices 
further out from Washington, um, particularly, um, you know, sort of very confident and powerful U.S. attorney's offices like in, in New York, um, have, have always felt, um, I think, more free to pursue their cases uh, and to do it with um, less fear uh, of, you know, what kind of pressure they might get from, from Washington and, and how it might look. Um, you know, the, the um, Southern District of New York, the Eastern District is similar, um, you know, have a reputation of sort of doing whatever the hell they want and kind of daring Washington to stop them. Um, and if there are folks in there who think, you know, who are working on an investigation and think there is something there, um, they're going to be really inclined to, to try to see it through. I think that there was um, you know, there were extraordinary efforts, as best as we could tell, in the Trump administration to try to take steps to curb um, even, you know, even those offices outside of Washington that, that might have been inclined to, um, to get close to, to people who were allies of the president. Uh, some of it still happened. Um, you know, I think in Washington, um, there are probably residual effects from the, you know, very real efforts by Attorney General Barr and others to intervene and, 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 and protect Donald Trump and, and his allies. Um, and also, I think there's probably a recognition that, you know, people don't know where Attorney General Garland is going to be, and they don't know if he's going to be reluctant to look backwards into anything having to do with the, the Trump administration. Um, and so, I, you know, I think it sort of makes sense that in some of these investigations that are a little more distant from Washington, that, that the, the movement is faster, whereas others may be sort of um, kind of collecting themselves, figuring out where things are, recovering a little bit from where they've been in the past, uh, and, and sort of waiting to see if it seems like an atmosphere where they can feel comfortable going forward. I mean, you hope that people are just doing their work um, without regard for anything else happening. And that's the way the Justice Department's supposed to work, but it clearly hasn't been like that for a few years. Um, and maybe it'll get back there. Um, you know, I do think that, you know, one thing about um, Merrick Garland as attorney general, I mean, he wasn't necessarily, a, you know, a sort of uh, young and exciting choice for attorney general, uh, but this is someone who is, you know, this is the capstone to his career. Uh, he's not he's not looking for another job at this point. Um, and, you know, I, I would hope that he would look at what happened both within the department and more broadly in the government and be so outraged that he thinks there really does need to be accountability and he has to make that happen, even if it's politically difficult, even if, you know, it, uh, it, it attracts hostility to him, um, you know, and it may be, um, you know, that it, it may ultimately be that it's easier for him to go there than for President Biden to go there. Uh, I, I don't know what he's going to do, but I, I um, hope that as tempting as it would be for Attorney General Garland to, um, to say, like, we're not going to get involved in things that are um, politically explosive, um, that, that he will instead say, um, it's just crucial to the democracy and it's crucial to the future of this department that we um, get to the bottom of what happened and prosecute when there were crimes. Um, and and I, I, I think there's, um, you know, so it doesn't surprise me that, that 
it's taking a little time for us to get an answer about, about where he is on that, but I think uh, I'm hopeful that he'll get there. David, can I ask Noah a question that's not about Barr or Trump? Well, you're a co-host here, Kavita. You can ask me about anything you like. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to do something that uh, we tend to not do, which is uh, looking forward, but also putting Biden on the spot, because we've uh, we've had many conversations, Noah, that uh, there's a lot about Biden. You just can't. It's hard to criticize. He's just been kind of in some ways, especially as a, you know, someone who can influence and make friends pretty, pretty successful to date. So, I, but I do have a question. I think it was uh, one of your colleagues who wrote about this and I, I survived kind of, I came into the Obama administration we had Norma Eisen, pretty strict ethics requirements, you know, very, very kind of uh, any history of lobbying, et cetera. And I think the Biden administration has been trying to do something similar, but for very obvious reasons. We had one of the most unethical presidents. So I think there was a desire to show that we're recalibrating. How does it look, we talked about Garland, kind of why he makes a lot of sense. Um, Vanita Gupta, who I have a lot of respect for. Can you speak, uh, if you don't mind, about where there are blind spots, where there are holes, where there is progress that still needs to be made, where the Biden administration hasn't had the courage to push ahead on anything from ethics to transparency to accountability inside the administration. Do you, do you mind just giving us your brief thoughts on that? Sure. Um, you know, I think uh, as you noted, um, in general, the Biden administration's been doing pretty well, has a, has a good start on uh, ethics issues. I think actually in terms of their, um, the ethics executive order, uh, the sort of the, the baseline for what's expected of uh, White House and, and senior administration officials, um, they started in a place that goes beyond, way beyond what the Trump administration did, but actually beyond what the Obama administration did. Uh, and that is very much to their credit. Um, and, um, you know, the, uh, so that, that is, um, and, and I think just in terms of being committed to saying, we're gonna follow the rules, uh, we're, we, are, we care about, uh, democracy, we care about uh, ethics. Um, you know, it's, it's just a sea change and, and that that is tremendous. Um, I guess I would point to two things. Um, I think that the first is kind of along the lines of what we've been talking about, where, you know, I, I had some, some real concern with this administration that they were sort of coming out of the gate with this attitude of, we're gonna be really ethical um, and we're gonna run the government the right way. And that's gonna, kind of fix things and let's not worry about looking backward. Um, and, um, and let's not worry about changing the law, passing reforms. Cause you know, we're, we'll just like, we already have, the laws work pretty well if you just do it right. Um, and I think that that is, that's, that's not gonna work. There, we, there are just too many, that the democracy is, 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 has been attacked on too many fronts. Um, I actually think that particularly in light of the, voting restrictions in you know, Georgia and Florida and, and elsewhere, um, this administration is starting to, to, to look uh, in a different way and say, hey, we, we really do need to, you know, we, we do need to pass legislation on, uh, on democracy, which includes voting, but it also includes uh, ethics. It also includes money in politics where, where maybe they didn't come in with that as, as, as quite as high a priority. So I think that's, 
you know, there are questions there, but the signs we've been seeing recently are, are actually uh, pretty positive. Um, I think the other area um, which, you know, I have some concerns about is transparency, is that, you know, everybody's pro-transparency until they get into office and then they don't want anybody, you know, sort of mm -hmm. looking at their internal conversations and, and, and questioning what they're doing. And it sort of goes with the territory. Um, I think there have been some good signs from this administration. You know, they did uh, commit to uh, releasing uh, White House visitor logs, which is a thing that uh, the Obama administration did, although only after we sued them, but they, they did get there. Um, and then the Trump administration stopped doing it and the Biden administration has said, uh, we're gonna do that again. Uh, what they aren't doing is releasing any logs of, um, of online uh, meetings, yeah. which is basically all yep. of them right now. Um, I've noticed that. And yeah. you know, that's, that, that seems um, like, a, you know, kind of giving themselves a pretty big loophole. Um, and, you know, they haven't really um, come out and said, you know, whether they support uh, strengthening the Freedom of Information Act, uh, which is something that, that um, needs to happen. I mean, we've, we've, we've had some real success with the Freedom of Information Act uh, in the Trump era, but also, um, you know, there's a ton that we don't know. Um, and, um, and, and there, there have been massive efforts to sort of stem the information flow. And there have been cases where the Biden administration has uh, stepped in to protect, uh, uh, you know, really problematic Trump administration records, I think, because they're concerned about what they might have to release of, of their own. And so, you know, there's a, there have been some good signs on transparency, but also some less good signs. And I think we are really hopeful that they will uh, prioritize that more and, and, and really see the benefit of uh, a, a much more open government philosophy. Um, I have one more quick question and, and Ryan and Kavita, if you've got one more quick one, we, we can do it. We keep each one of them to about, you know, a minute or two, but, um, and this is obviously a big issue, but I was reading somewhere, I, I think it had to do with one of these cases this week. And it was talking about the, uh, the deference that prosecutors were showing to Trump as a uh, uh, as a former president, not just as a as as a sitting president, and you know I think back on the Office of Legal Counsel memo about prosecuting a sitting president, which is a memo; it's not law. But you know, after a number of years, it starts getting treated as law and as precedent, and it defends you know, one administration after another and gets locked in there. This idea of, of deference to a sitting, uh, to a former president, to me, is completely antithetical to the idea of equal justice under the law. And that, you know, you, you, you talked about, well, he's not the president anymore, so he's got to be treated the same way. But he's apparently not being treated the same way. And my concern is that becomes a precedent, too. And does that worry you? It does. I mean, I, I think there's a somewhat legitimate basis for being cautious that, you know, we don't want to be in a, in a country where every new president comes in and prosecutes the, the previous president. Um, that, that's, you know, that, that is a way that, uh, uh, that, that um, autocratic countries uh, often work. And, and I think everybody's a little skittish about that. Um, but that shouldn't be 
uh, that that shouldn't grow to mean that you can never prosecute it when there is actual uh, actual and extraordinary wrongdoing. And you know, with Donald Trump, it, it's not you know one crime or one set of conduct. There there are whole areas of criminal conduct um, that that uh, he appears to have uh, committed in his time in, in office, and you ought to at least be. Uh, giving it a serious look and and analyzing, you know, did it happen? Is is the is there sufficient evidence, um, not just to for a you know for a standard criminal case, but but even sort of beyond that, where it, where it makes sense to uh, go after a former president. And if you're not even doing the analysis, um, I think that does set a bad precedent for uh, for the democracy. Um, I uh, you know I I think it is still early to talk about sort of how they are treating a former president uh, and there is time to turn the corner on that, uh, although not a ton of time. And so I think, uh, I, I think it, it, it does need to happen. It should be searching and, and, and searching analysis with a high bar, but it does need to happen. Uh, and they gotta be willing to pull the trigger if, if the case is strong enough. Quick question, Ryan. I just want to return to something you said at the beginning um, on a January 6 accountability, a commission or something like that, and what plan B looks like. Um, you mentioned a kind of a Warren Commission executive body, which I think not enough public attention has been paid to that as an option. And then the other one being a kind of a select committee. When do you think the decision has to be made to cut bait with respect to trying the bipartisan independent commission route especially seeing um, how the Republican party is purging somebody like Liz Cheney. So they might not be a partner across the table uh, for something like that. Um, what, when, what, so yeah, so when do you think that one has to make that call that time has elapsed? We're, we've given plan A, it, it's due, but now we need to go to plan B. Um, you know, I think, I think there should be a little more time. I think there's, um, you know, uh, Nancy Pelosi just in the last couple of weeks went back with a, 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 a new eminently reasonable proposal. Um, and, uh, you know, you gotta make an honest effort at, I don't know if actual discussions have happened around that they need to, um, but I think you can't wait long. I mean, I think that, that it has to, that this summer, um, if, the, if, if legislation is going nowhere, you need to move to a plan B, because I think that I, I think the investigation actually has to be happening this year, um, both because you got to do it while while it's fresh, uh, while there's you know the evidence is as fresh as possible, um, and you got to do it um, before you're back in an election year context. Um, this shouldn't have anything to do with an election, but it will because of the way that that um, that at least one of the parties has aligned themselves are, are, are around. This event, um, and so you know, I think by the fall, uh, if not before, you need uh, a commission named and staffed and, and doing its work. And so that, um, in my mind, gives you a couple of months to try to pass something through Congress, and then you turn to the next uh, next path if it doesn't work. Last question, Kavita. Quick question. I'm going to pull a John Dingle. He always <laughs> had the yes or no questions. Uh, now, filibuster reform. Will it happen? Yes, no. As a former Senate person, you know, you know, you know I mean, 
I want it to happen. I don't think it will happen. What's your what's uh, what's your yes no? You can be a little more lengthy. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I don't think I will say it will happen, but I think there is a real possibility that it will happen. I I That's, you know I okay all right. I've, I've read what Joe Manchin has said. I I understand that, um, but I think if we're going to place in a couple of months where important legislation after important. Uh, piece of legislation has been blocked by uh, Republicans who are sort of totally unwilling to compromise and, and consider anything. Um, you know, uh, Chuck Schumer can make a run at Joe Manchin and we might be in a different yep. place than we are now. All right. Second dingle question. Supreme Court expansion. Yes, no. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, that one is um, probably a less likely um, I, I, I just think that it, it is, I just haven't, um, it, it doesn't seem to have the kind of uh, momentum yeah. behind it. Um, but we'll see what the Supreme Court does. I think if we get one or two, you know, decisions that seem really at odds with the mainstream of American society, we might be in a different place. Interesting. All right. I think no, no, no one has done as much for filibuster reform um, as Mitch McConnell this week saying <laughs> he's devoting 100% of his time to you know, stopping the, uh, the Biden administration. I mean, you know, you know, Manchin is like, you know, we, we should have a good faith effort. And McConnell's saying, nope, that's not going to happen. So exactly. Um, anyway, and, and, uh, yes. that could get us somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's true. One, 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 would, one would hope so. Um, in any event, uh, Noah, it's been great for you to join us. We hope you'll come back again. These are subjects we like uh, to discuss. Your organization is great. Um, as I said to everybody, um, go to the website. Uh, you can even donate money and help support what they are doing. Um, you'll read about them every week. Follow Noah on uh, Twitter. Follow the organization, which I think on Twitter is Crew Crew. Is it it's something like that? Is that That's right. The Twitter account. That's right. Um, so uh, it's, uh, you're doing amazing work, and we're really uh, honored you took the time to join us. Thanks, of course, to Ryan and Kavita. Thanks to everybody for uh, listening. We've got a lot of uh, interesting uh, stuff coming up in the next uh, few uh, days and weeks, which you should go to the dsrnetwork.com to follow up on. But we've got a one-on-one, a, a, -on -one, a, a, a a show on, on on the interesting new book on on Nancy Reagan uh, tomorrow with uh, Karen Tumulty. We've got uh, a show that we're going to do uh, in addition to our regular shows. Uh, I think on Tuesday is that correct, Kavita? Um, on, on India, on yep. India, mm -hmm. and, and Kavita mm -hmm. and Ed Luce and and an, a very well known uh, uh, Indian activist named uh, Rana Ayub are going to join us. Uh, to discuss this incredibly significant crisis that could have impact for all of us, uh, and so on. So go to the dsrnetwork.com, follow what we've got going, sign up, be a member, support what we're doing, go to the crew website, support what they're doing. And uh, in the meantime, stay healthy, everybody. Thanks very much. <laughs>